Welcome to the SoCal Hymns Podcast. This is Sarah Richardson, and today we are featuring a conversation with Neil Gomes, Chief Digital Officer and Executive Vice President for Technology Innovation and Consumer Experience at Thomas Jefferson University and Jefferson Health System. Neil has worked for the $100 billion Fortune 500 Tata group of companies, where he played a leadership role in building the entrepreneurial startup Tata Interactive Systems, from 60 employees to the world's largest custom e-learning development firm in less than two years. Neil left the Tata Group to complete his master's in education in instructional design in the University of South Florida, whilst progressively working toward the position of director of e-teaching and technology and then director of instructional design and training at USF Health. While at USF, Neil's leadership and entrepreneurial acumen helped grow a strategic team of application developers, instructional and multimedia designers, and project managers that generated over $1.5 million in annual auxiliary revenue from research and external development projects, while growing online student enrollment from 200 in 2002 to approximately 200,000 by year 2012, generating nearly 30 million in revenue each year. While at USF, Neil also began working towards his PhD and is currently a PhD candidate, has authorized research articles, book chapters, and delivered several formal research presentations. At Jefferson, he helped secure a $15 million donor grant from the Bernie Marcus Foundation to develop a high-tech, consumer-centric, integrative health center at Jefferson, and he has also launched several pioneering collaborations with partners such as Google, Apple, Adobe, SAP, and IBM Watson. Neil serves as associate editor for the Journal for Healthcare Transformation and is a contributor toward the book, We Can Fix Healthcare, The Future Is Now. Neil is also a speaker, agile aficionado, and digital innovation evangelist. Hi, Neil. It's so great to have you on the show. I'm excited to talk about technology innovation and consumer experience. So thank you for taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you are truly a pioneer in this space. You've you've brought Tata Consulting, you know, into the forefront. You've developed programs for USF, and now you're really changing the landscape of what this means for healthcare at Jefferson. Tell us how it's been successful and how you really came to Jefferson to create this center of excellence for your organization. Thank you, and thanks for having me. It's really exciting. I've been looking forward to this for some time now. But I'm the Chief Digital Officer at Thomas Jefferson University and Jefferson Health System. Um, and I founded a group called the Digital Innovation and Consumer Experience Group. And we call ourselves the DICE Group. Um, and uh, the reason why we did this was uh, really, it was a joint vision. Um, our president and CEO, uh, who was new at the time at Jefferson, uh, his name is Dr. Stephen Clasco. Um, he has always been focused on... Uh, the consumer is the driver for change. And uh, by consumer, I mean the patient in our case, students in our case. And uh, also, we, we even view our staff and our community as consumers. Uh, but always putting them at the center um, and then innovating. And the reason why is because if you look at many other industries, right, not even healthcare or education, you look at other industries like, um, like retail, like entertainment, uh, like travel, uh, the companies that have really transformed those industries and have transformed themselves in the process also and have succeeded at what they do really well, like the Netflixes of the world um, and the, uh, uh, the Amazons of the world. What they did was they almost religiously uh, placed the consumer at the center of what they were doing. Uh, they tried to anticipate needs 
and then meet them, even before consumers might have anticipated them themselves, you know, through speaking with their consumers, thinking about what they might want, uh, and, and then making it happen. And the execution part is very important, too. So uh, Dr. Clasco um, always has had that vision. Um, I have also uh, built my career around that. And uh, so uh, it, was, it was a great um, way to, to get uh, this to happen at Jefferson, you know, uh, him as a leader that uh, could make it happen. And we started off really as a small team, uh, you know, trying to prove this thesis, you know, trying to prove this uh, to be true in healthcare and education. And so we started off with a very small team of about two people on my team about four and a half years ago. And, uh, and since then, we've uh, proven this to be true. Uh, the institution has invested in us as a group. And uh, so we've grown as a team, uh, delivering lots of value back to the institution. Uh, we are about 150 or so people now. Um, and what we do is uh, we take this, uh, this uh, religious focus on the consumer um, the uh, desire to make things easy for them as they interact with our system, with technology within our system, and then execute on those needs that we identify in a very agile way, because sometimes we could get things wrong, right? So we want to be able to change. And at its core, really, that's what our team does. Now, how we do it, there are different ways that we do it, and I can explain that a little bit more. But uh, at its core, this is what we do. And uh, this is what our team is about and how we've come about uh, to be at Jefferson. So you were able to already overcome one of the biggest barriers, which is getting buy-in from executive leadership, since it really was your executive leaders that were sponsoring the activities that your team has developed. What have been some of the surprise benefits from what you've produced for your consumers? And, and more importantly, we think when you talk about the how, Patients typically are engaged with the healthcare system when they're sick, or it's not a desire to be involved with the healthcare system when they're feeling well. And yet, that wellness push to create stickiness with the organization is always at the forefront of our minds. Tell us a little bit about all of those dynamics. Sure, yeah. So, um, I, I explained a little bit to you about the why of our group, right? I mean, why we are so, uh, why we do what we do, uh, what we're passionate about, you know, and that is. Uh, the consumer and what the consumer wants and anticipating those needs in advance. Um, so the how we do it is uh, is a little bit unique, I think, at least. You know, we've learned some lessons from other industries, from other companies. Uh, and so we set out these uh, 12 principles for our team. Um, I'm, uh, I'm publishing a book soon about them. Uh, and um, and and these, uh, these 12 uh, principles are uh, not really a map, but more like a compass. Uh, for our group to help set the culture of the group, the kinds of people we hire. Um, the, uh, they help people with decisions uh, at points when they have to make them and sometimes when they're tough decisions also. Um, and most importantly, they define the how, the how we do things. Uh, and to some extent, also the why. Uh, so the, at its, the, the first uh, principle really is, uh, there are 13 principles actually, but the first principle is called, uh, is the zero principle and it's we are human. And I won't go through all the principles, of course, but uh, you know I, this one I want to state because it is uh, really, really fundamental. Um, it is something that uh, uh, that our group values tremendously, and it's uh, all about the way we have been created as a group. The people we've selected to be on this team are people that are very concerned about uh, humans and uh, and and also 
about the way that they interact with others, you know, and then the way that we, uh, with passion, with empathy, create these types of solutions that solve major problems. So to answer your question about um, uh, about um, uh, what, what kinds of uh, early wins we created, since we were so focused on our patients, uh, you know, in the, from the patient side, uh, we first thought, okay, well, what we need to do is really find out what, what patients want, right? Uh, what are the different needs uh, that they might have that are not expressed many times, or if expressed, are usually expressed in a way that they may be the only way they can complain about something, right? Uh, for example, our Presgeny surveys. Uh, you know, most uh, hospital systems um, use Presgeny or another um, uh, customer or patient experience kind of um, um, data collection group. And what most hospitals do is they will send these surveys out, or Presgeny will send these surveys out after about three weeks after a patient is discharged. And the patient gets these, and those that decide to answer, you know, so it's not too many, um, will sometimes use this as the only way to really, uh, you know, uh, complain about a bad experience, right? And what can you do about it? Pretty much nothing until they come back the next time, you know, and you're not sure of that, right? You don't want that necessarily to happen. So you cannot change their experience uh, if it was good then great, but if it was bad, you just can't change it. Uh, you also don't have any context. So if a patient said, oh, my room was dirty, well, you don't know what that meant, really. Was it that things were out of place? Was there actual dirt in the room? Was it on one day? Was it, you know, uh, somebody spilled something? Was it the restroom that was dirty? You know, you don't know, right? So there's no context, and you can't tell companies that either, either you employ to do this work for you or your own staff uh, the only feedback you can give them is, oh, all the folks are saying the room's dirty. Well, uh, clean the room, you know, and they'll say back to you, we do clean the room, you know. So uh, so that's not effective enough. So what we did was we started this, uh, and this was really the leadership within the hospital that came uh, uh, for to us and said, look, we'd like to put in this concept of administrative rounding where we have VPs and directors uh, go out into the hospital and uh, find out how people, our patients are doing, you know, and they do that hopefully with some kind of technology. So we created a mobile app for the iPad. They created a fantastic process, you know, with some inputs from us too, whereby uh, every Friday now for about two and a half hours, leaders within the organization spend time with patients in pairs using the iPad that we provide them and this app that we created called At Your Service. And they go out and talk to patients. They find out what problems they might be having, not just problems, but also what positive feedback they might have about people that are taking care of them, about the environment. With the app, you can take pictures. If there are issues, if something's broken or there's a tear in the pillow, you can take a picture. You can triage it directly to the group that would solve the problem. And we have SLAs in place that in 48 hours, that problem will be resolved, right? Or at least someone will acknowledge it and try to resolve it with the patient. So many times, it, people don't even wait for 48 hours. Now, these groups that we would tell, oh, the room was dirty, have tangible evidence on which to act. So they almost show up. Once they see that, they're there in, in an hour, sometimes two hours, sometimes minutes even, to try and solve the problem. 
Why? Because then they can say we solved all these problems with evidence and, and you know, we're improving and here's the evidence of improvement. And now the, the surveys we get back from, from patients are so positive that they've raised our CMS ratings in these hospitals from two stars 18 months ago to now four plus stars. You know, and this is even from, from a financial perspective to an institution is a great gain. Right. So uh, so this is uh, us taking the consumer, putting them right at the center and creating value, not just for the consumer, but also for us. What it also has done is it's enabled us to find out from the consumer what do they value? Right. When they come to us, they may not make the choice to come to us. Sometimes they're there because they had a problem and the ambulance got them there. And now they are in our hospital. Right. And they need our care. But sometimes they make a choice. And if they made a choice, then why do they? make that choice you know uh, have we delivered on that promise have we not so all of that enables us to find problems and fix them you know and sometimes anticipate problems before the patient can even identify them to us and that was one of i think the the greatest early successes we had um i'll give you another another one you know and i'll do it quick um another one was uh, we decided okay uh, if we are really putting this patient at the center uh, who comes to us at the worst time of their lives, right? Something completely un- unanticipated, high anxiety, you know, and those are most of the people that come to us uh, via the ER, right? And so we said, let's build a solution of some kind for the ER. And, uh, you know, we had a, a really enterprising ER group. We had a great new CMO that was uh, very focused on trying to, um, you know, increase satisfaction in the ER from patients uh, make things move faster in the ER because we all know that that is a major satisfier for patients. Get patients to a physician rather than you know having them wait really quickly so that they can make a decision very quickly and you know reduce a person's anxiety because sometimes some people know that it may not be something major that I've come in for, but they come in anyway because they're worried. So if you can alleviate that anxiety as soon as possible, then a person feels better, right? So, um, so what we did was we created, uh, first we did a very ethnographic study, and this is our process. You know, most of our process uh, is um, design, then development, and then education, right? And sometimes some of these overlap too. So our designers spend time, along with sometimes even the software developers, in a clinical environment. Because the good thing about healthcare is that you can actually see problems, right? You, it's not abstract. Um, you can you can experience them yourself, and and uh, and so we we send people into these environments to identify what the real problems are first, because many people come to us with a solution, you know, and they want us to 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 execute on it. So so we go and we first try to identify the problem, then we try to devise a solution, and along with leadership in those areas. We try to identify what the best outcome would be for them if we solved that problem, right? And then using uh, lean startup methodologies, we try to give them the most minimum viable product first, and we call it the most minimum lovable product. So, so, um, uh, so we give them that uh, first, and that's what we did in the ER. So in the ER, when we went in, we noticed that uh, a lot of the waits and latency in the ER and the dissatisfaction that was happening after we spent weeks in the ER were associated with latency, with time, uh, and the time issues were associated with 
people not really uh, taking moments in time that they had off latency to actually do something for someone. And why weren't they doing that? Because they didn't have the information that could guide them to do that thing, right? And so, uh, so we gave them that information. We created dashboards for our ER, beautifully designed dashboards that are now all over the ER. They're real time. They help solve problems like readmissions. Uh, they help solve problems like latency and identifying those. And most importantly, they enable anyone who's in the ER to take a service mindset first, not just a problem-solving mindset, a service mindset, because it shows them how long has a person been waiting in, in any room in the ER. The, it establishes thresholds. What is the most time we would wait? You know, we would let someone wait, you know, in the worst case. You know, establish that, and then anything above that is unacceptable. So if anyone has any point of latency, you know, they would go into that room now and talk to that patient and find out why they're waiting right, and try and solve that for them. They are empowered to do that. So that completely changed our ER, dropped our left without being seen rate from about 5.6% to now at 0.8% sustained, okay, for several, almost two, two and a half years now, 0.8%. Uh, and we see about 420,000 patients a year in our ERs. So, you know, from a revenue perspective, that is tremendous too. We, we, we increased our patient satisfaction at a rate that even the folks uh, that, they, that measure this, you know, said to us, they've not seen any ER raise it by that much in six months. Uh, and some of these metrics we achieved within the first four weeks of implementation of the most rudimentary parts of our solution. Now it has evolved tremendously. So these were two really quick wins that caused tremendous impact across the organization. And since then, we've done several things. We do about 120 initiatives now that our group has grown per year. Uh, we've created about 40 different marketable products, which we are now starting to uh, sell to other institutions. Uh, we also do consulting uh, to help other institutions uh, do the things that we've managed to achieve if they like them. And uh, we've also grown as an organization. Jefferson, when I joined four and a half years ago, uh, had about three hospitals, uh, revenue of about $1.8 billion a year, and one university. And now we have about 18 hospitals, revenue in the range of about $6.5 billion in just four years, and two universities. You know, we, we merged with Philadelphia U, and now it's uh, called Jefferson East Falls. So, so all this momentum has also happened because people are drawn to these stories, you know, this, this culture of innovation, this enablement of people to think differently and then realize their ideas by having software groups and design groups and education groups actually work to get those things solved, you know, and then keep those people engaged and keep our consumers engaged, our patients engaged, our students too. So, so I think all of that, you know, has, uh, and certainly there are several other initiatives across the institution, but this focus on innovation, this focus on, on the consumer as the center of what we do um, has led to this momentum, I believe. Both of those solutions are fascinating from a service perspective. My initial background was in hospitality, and today we are slowly beginning to understand how important it is to integrate the true hospitality and service aspect of our patients when they're in our hospitals. A couple of questions on that front. So when you have developed and designed and deployed these applications in your facilities, has it been widely adopted by the organization in short order 
or has it been a bit of a education and a, and a timeline for adjustment and change management and getting these to be more pervasively accepted within your hospitals? And on that front, how long does it take once you launch a new technology for it really to become mainstream in your organization? I'll start from the beginning. So uh, these solutions, but the two that I um, talked to you about, um, our implementation times, the ER one was about two weeks. So not not two weeks after we, uh, now this is two weeks after we actually identified the real problem and then got buy-in on what we were going to do. But to execute on that, because we we take a lean startup agile methodology, um, we take two weeks for all our sprints. Now we've time boxed about one week, uh, but uh, that time we were two weeks. And in two weeks, we delivered a very minimum, the, the dashboard had two tiles on it. That was it. But those two tiles addressed the most important problems they had, right? That would solve the pro- that would solve this these different problems that we identified, and would solve probably the most critical one, right? Which was time, and one was left without being seen. So, so we we addressed those right at the outset. So it's the eighty twenty kind of rule, you know, twenty percent uh, of most uh, features inside most software. Um, uh, are, are, are all 80% of their users use, right? So let's make that 20% instead of trying to make the 100% software solution. And then, uh, you know, only a few people use everything, right? So uh, so that's what we did. So we focused on that. So our uh, getting solutions out is very, very quick. And that's what people like. And that's what keeps them engaged. Now, in terms of adoption, uh, we usually don't have a problem, and why is because we are not imposing a solution on anyone, right? Now, many times people come to us with a solution, and many times we know even at the outset that it's probably not something we want to make because either there's other things people have made that solve the same problem, or the problem has not been really identified. Um, so we say to those folks, we would like to experience the problem. And many times, um, if you say that, you don't see them again, you know, so because they don't want you changing their minds about something they think they have identified. So they're too passionate about the idea. And that usually becomes a problem later on. So it's better to realize that right at the outset, you know. And so if somebody says, on the contrary, oh, yes, please come in and see even if there are other problems in my group. Now, that is a fantastic invitation because what does that do? It it brings you down to the frontline people, right? And really, the frontline people are the people that can make the most impact in most situations, right? Uh, or at least evidence the problems firsthand, right? And uh, And so we speak to those people and we find out what problems they are having. And if a problem has been identified to us early on, we say, okay, well, these are the problems it seems like, not the initial one you might have brought us. Do you want to solve these? You know, And if in most cases, it's an eye-opener for most people, and they'll be like, yes, this is, this is what's causing that problem I brought to you. you know. And so then what happens is the leadership buys in, and the people on the ground that will ultimately use the solutions feel and know that we helped discover that. 
you know <laughs> they're going with what we help discover you know and then they're building the solution with us so we never just leave then and go to our cubes and build a software solution no every week we meet with them so we have a product owner as with most agile groups we have a product owner that does that um, many times we are even the developers are in that space the designers are in that space and they're with them they become like part of their teams and they're very small teams most work that we do we put about three people on it one designer and usually about two developers and at some point one developer goes off that project and we get an education specialist on so that that person can develop documentation, support, training, all of that, so that the solution persists and people don't go back to doing what they were doing before. So in our case, we don't have that problem because we are not imposing a solution on anyone. This is something they want. And that's the best way to do it. I'll give you a great example with the AYS example, the at your service one I gave you before, the rounding tool. So when we finished implementing this solution and was going really well, at the center city hospitals. And by that time, we had uh, also um, merged with another hospital system called Abington. And so Abington, when they saw this and the success of it, they said, we need that at Abington. And, and we, we never assume another hospital system has the same problem. But many times leadership will see that, see the results and say, we want that, we need that. And we said to them, can we find out first whether you really need it? You know, And not only that, um, uh, can we test whether you will commit to the process? Forget about the, the software, the process, because it's a high commitment. You know, people have to agree to spend two hours, two and a half hours almost of their time every week, and these are administrators, right, to come in and do this. Will they do it? So what we did was we gave them paper. We gave them paper. We gave them uh, paper surveys for six weeks, and we said to them, if you can sustain this for six weeks and you don't have mass attrition of people over those six weeks and you do it every week, then we'll build a solution for you, right? And so they sustained it for four weeks. And then at four weeks, we said, okay, seems like you guys are going to you know, do this. And, and they were all happy about it. They saw it as their solution. You know, they had validated it for themselves. And so when they went in, when we came in, it was easy, you know, and we could deploy what they needed specifically. We had identified that they did have this problem and they did need the solution and they had done that for themselves too. So they believed in it right at the outset. It's becoming more and more common, at least in some of the conversations that I have, of health systems starting to develop their own products and to market these products more broadly throughout the healthcare arena. Neil, do you see a future where the dependency on third-party vendors is less and less and we start to internally develop and market and sell these solutions to one another in the quest for really being able to solve for a problem that we are the closest to? Well, I, I think certainly, you know, we, um, uh, we can develop and we have to believe that we can and do something about it like Jefferson has done, you know, thanks to our leadership and uh, the vision that they have also. Um, I, I think that's very important because why is because we are closest to the problem, right? And we can, if we did take the time to listen to our patients, we would know exactly what they want and we could change and transform and, you know, create a revolution in healthcare. So we do need to do that right now. However, I do not think that we, that we should just try and do it on our own. Uh, part of our equation for digital transformation, as we call it, is great teams. So you certainly need good people on your team. You know, so great teams, 
great partners. So you need partners. You know, you need the Googles of the world or the EMR companies. You need all these folks to work with you. And you have to create a story for them to believe in, you know, um, that that this is what the patient wants. And here's a committed group of people that want to deliver that for them. And the, the human in us will, uh, you know, uh, prevent us from opposing that, right? Because ultimately it pulls at our heartstrings, you know, and this could be us uh, in that hospital tomorrow. You never know, right? So, so it's important to build that story, you know, uh, uh, have partners in this process. You cannot do it on your own. And then finally, the third part of our equation is great platforms. That's purely a technology thing, but uh, if you try and do everything hardcore on your own without using platforms, it becomes very expensive to maintain and manage over time. So we use platforms, development platforms, to make things easier for us so that we can focus on the creative aspects of solving problems versus the mundane aspects of managing technologies. Right? Because that's not always what we do best in a healthcare organization. So, so I think it's important, but uh, tech, uh, these solutions have gotten so complex, and we've believed that they are, they are very complex uh, in the past, and with regulations and all of that, we've uh, it, it's kind of uh, you know we, we've gone away from creating them ourselves. But now the technologies are becoming easier; they're becoming more commoditized. Even machine learning and AI, you've noticed, you know, you get these uh, you know uh, commoditized products, services that you can call out of using APIs and things like that, you know, and and they deliver back to you uh, very complex results that you would have never been able to devise on your own. Um, so you have to use that because it'll take tremendous investment to try and do it yourself. But you have to be able to appreciate what you have and what value you bring, which is closeness to the consumer, closeness to the problem, the ability to to uh, to work also, if you did make a foray into the technical space, to be able to work with good people in other organizations to create these solutions. I think that is very important. It requires an ecosystem. It is not a single-person initiative. But uh, yes, it is happening. And I do think people are doing it mostly in these types of ecosystems. Um, and But you know, this is a phase in time. I think at some point, we've got to, as institutions, also come together, and we are starting to do some of that now, and start solving common problems we have so that we're not creating 20 solutions for the same problem. You know, uh, there are just tremendous number of problems in healthcare, so we have to kind of get together and try and solve them for each other versus just trying to solve them for ourselves. You have created such a dynamic environment and the ability for really talent to come into your organization and change the face of healthcare. How have you used that as a strategic differentiator to attract and retain talent in your company? Okay. Well, uh, it, it is easy as well as it's hard at the same time. Why is it easy? It's because, uh, you know, it's what we do touches the lives of people, right? So yes, you could work uh, for a telecom company, or you could work for a retail organization, trying to make the algorithms better or create a better, better customer experience in retail or telecom or something like that. And it's all good work, no doubt. But if you come to healthcare, you could help save lives, improve lives, uh, create uh, empathy. 
you know, out of a technology sometimes. You could reduce anxiety. You could make people happier and help them live longer lives. You know, what could be more valuable than that, right? And in our case, we also do education. So, you know, that's a tremendous value too that we deliver to people. So that way it's easy, you know, to, to, to show people and pull at their heartstrings and help them realize that they can change the world. They can make a difference in the world. Sometimes, as I said, our teams are many times that solve problems are very small. So three people can create something that can affect the lives of 420,000 people a year in our hospital. Yeah, how would that make someone feel, right? And if other hospitals decide to use the same solutions, then it affects them there too and all those people there. And not just in buying a, a product on a retail platform. No, this is with their life, you know? So, so it's, it's tremendous, you know, the impact that you can create. At the same time, it is also hard because... Uh, certainly, we as not-for-profit institutions cannot pay people the way that, let's say, a retail, large retail company or a large telecom company or a large entertainment company might be able to pay. So, uh, but that I don't see as a negative because then we get people who are really passionate, who are, who own the problem. Ownership is very important, you know, and come to do something with us because they care about it and they are not just looking for money. You know, and that's important. You, know, you want people with passion, people that take that passion and then express it through creative solutions. So, and then own the problem, you know, not for themselves, but for the patients or for the students in our case too. So, um, so I think that is, uh, you know, I don't see the negative as a negative. I see it more as a positive. Neil, our listeners are going to hear this and be like, I want to go work for Neil and figure <laughs> out how to get in touch with you. And I follow you on Twitter and LinkedIn and other formats because you are always constantly producing thought-provoking and really innovative ideas into the industry. How do our listeners find you? Oh, well, my email address is simple. It's neil, N-E-I-L dot gomes, G-O-M-E-S at jefferson.edu. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Neil Gomes, N-E-I-L-G-O-M-E-S. Uh, and on LinkedIn at uh, LinkedIn LinkedIn.com forward slash IN forward slash Neil Gomes. So um, so many ways to get to me if you need if you need me. Um, but yeah, I, I I do hope people are inspired by this. And uh, you know, if you want to think about joining Jefferson, you're most welcome to. Um, but you can also do these things within organizations that you're at already. You know, it's 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 a great time. Uh, you know, the technologies are getting easier. Uh, to work with, they're not as complex as before. People are, are trying to solve these problems with real uh, joy and vigor, I think, you know, and, uh, and we're seeing a lot of solutions cause a lot of momentum towards this change. So that's very, very positive. So, uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. And just remember these, I know you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, I, I post a lot of things. Uh, I do that, but uh, they're not my solutions only. They're all these people within this great organization as well as outside that come together and decide decide to spend their lives doing something of meaning. So I really give it to the team that does this with, with us. Neil, it's always a pleasure to spend time chatting with you and seeing you when I can at different industry events. Thank you for carving out time to spend with us and our listeners today. Appreciate you as always. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for this. Bye. Thank you for listening to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. Special thanks to Esteban Parano, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us to produce our podcast series.